Mac Power Users, Episode 169, Workflows with Physician and Educator Jeff Takeman. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hi, David. Or should I call you Max Barkey? There's actually a Twitter account called Max Barkey now. Did you know that? <laughs> I did know that. <laughs> um, and with us today is our pal, Jeff Takeman. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. You know, as I was saying it out loud, Jeff, it occurred to me I've never said your name out loud. Did I screw that up? No, you got it right. All right. All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm batting a thousand and we're only a minute in. <laughs> um, so Jeff is a physician and educator at Duke University, and we're going to talk to him today about how he uses his Macs and I think he's to, to get work done. But before we did, I just wanted to, to do a quick thank you to the listeners. Um, I was just looking this morning at the, uh, the iBookstore and the, the email, the paperless and, and the markdown book are all in the top 10. And wow. I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. I mean, so much of this is possible because of the listeners that support us. But um, writing these field guides feels really like some of the most important stuff I've ever done. And I just love that people are enjoying it. And I just want to say thanks. I am not in the least bit surprised, David. I was feeling gushy this morning. It made me feel so good. You know, as an independent publisher, you wonder if anybody will ever know you're out there. And uh, and I have a lot of support from our, our loving listeners. Anyway, Jeff, let's talk about you. <laughs> uh, Je Jeff, uh, I first met you uh, within a series of email exchanges, and you were writing me about some stuff you were doing with Text Expander. And I like, I said, you know, this guy is my kind of nerd. You know, <laughs> he's a professional. He's out there uh, doing day to day work, but at the same time, he's coming up with all these great little workflows to uh, to make things happen. And then. We got to meet in person last year at Macworld when you joined us on the stage for the uh, Macworld magazine stage for that little workflow presentation you did on how you take meeting minutes with Text Expander, which I thought was really that great. That was very cool. And um, and you also were a participant in our show 100. And so you, you've kind of been around our show for a while, and we thought, we need to give Jeff his own show. So here you are. I really appreciate it. And I've listened even uh, way before... Uh, I had met both of you, so it was a true pleasure to actually be able to do something with you. And you continued That's... listening after you met us? I'm yes, shocked. I still do. Wow. Yeah. Maybe a little more disdain, but you still right. listen. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it's really great. We get emails all the time from people who say, we were there since show zero, and yes, we did a show zero. And, and it really feels good to know that that we're able to keep putting stuff out and people will still enjoy listening. Uh, but Jeff, um, so I want to talk about, about the things you do. And it's interesting to me because you're not only a physician, you're also an academic. And, and um, so I thought we'd start by breaking it into those two pieces of your life. And, um, and I think maybe we'll start with the academic side because that's the stuff I have the most familiarity with. And I'm, I'm a little clueless about, what you do as a physician. And I want to hear how that works as well. Well, can you give us maybe just a high level general overview of, of what you do day to day? Yeah, I'd love to. Actually, it's a good thing if a lawyer's clueless about what the physician's doing. That, that, oh yeah, I know. So. Doctors hate lawyers so much. <laughs> I, I never, so, I've never done anything in that area of law, but I, I got a new general practitioner the other day and, um, 
he says, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a lawyer. And then he drops the clipboard and <laughs> does this feigned <laughs> outrage. He's a really funny guy, but I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm a nice one though. I don't do that stuff. Well, we have attorneys in our family too. So, oh man, you just must give them no end. Yeah. We have a good time. Yeah. So, uh, um, my, my job, actually, I have three roles that do clinically. I work in the operating room. I'm an anesthesiologist. And then my academic job, uh, I actually split my time between a role that, as the assistant dean for educational technology. And then I direct a simulation center. It's called the Human Simulation and Patient Safety Center. And in that center is where we do a lot of research. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with simulation in healthcare, but if you've stepped on an airplane, you're familiar with some of the benefits of simulation in that, you know, pilots train in simulators. And we have similar things for healthcare workers where we have healthcare workers go through simulated sessions and they take care of things that they may or may not see in their career, but they've actually practiced when they come to our simulation center. So we does, use this. does that mean you have like, actors there with feigned symptoms or is it like computers or, or are they I, like I androids I, I bet they're androids. So, simula- excited now i'm excited about yeah. the android. yeah <laughs> um so simulation actually is a technique and we use all sorts of different types of technology uh so my answer to that question is yes uh to all of the above we have actors that we use in certain scenarios we have computer controlled mannequins that are life-sized um, dolls that we can control and fix the environment to look like anywhere in the hospital. And then the area that I spend most of my time with these days is a new form of simulation, which takes actually game technology, the same stuff that you would get if you walked into a, a game store, uh, but we use it for serious purposes in healthcare. So we use simulation, we use those games to develop simulation that we can run from Durham anywhere in the world. Can you explain that a little bit? I, I Maybe this doesn't have anything to do with the Mac, but I, how do you apply games to medical training? So we use um, game engines. So you may be familiar with the Epic engine. Yeah. There's another engine called Unity. We, uh, in partnership with different groups, build applications using that technology. But instead of the focus being a commercial game that would be in a store, we're using it to train healthcare workers or, in some instances, patients. So we use the same technology, but it's used for a different purpose. So, like the 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 student pushes a button in his right arm instead of turning into a chainsaw, it turns into a scalpel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really curious. So, like, do they? What I, I don't understand. Do they like walk so through it, a simulated it, hospital, or is it trying to yeah, teach like so critical we, thinking skills? And these are your options. And you know, I, I don't well, play a lot of video several, games. But. Yeah, so um, we have a whole range of different projects that we're working on. Uh, many are focused on some of the major issues in healthcare. Uh, we have one that is a single player game. That means one person sits in front of the computer and works through a case independently that's focused on sedation. Uh, you know, they learn the skills of sedation by running simulated cases in a video game. 
Uh, we have others that have to do with teamwork and communication. We have some that have to do with handovers, which is when a patient moves from one area of the hospital to another. Uh, so it, we have a portfolio of a, a bunch of different projects that we're working on that utilizes that technology. And then because it's a computer, it can record everything that happens as well. So we have a lot of analyzable data that we can look at afterwards to see the choices that people made and the order that they made them. And it can actually inform us where to focus um, more of our education. That's kind of fascinating yeah. when you think I, I would never would have thought of that. Is this something, um, you know, particular to Duke or is this happening in a lot of hospitals? Um, I would say we're out in front. I, I, a lot of places are interested in this domain. We've been working in this area for about uh, 10 years or so, uh, but um, there are, uh, there's a push. There's actually a national society for simulation and there's a push within that society to really start using this type, the tech, the type of technology I'm talking about more frequently, because uh, once these things are built, they can be um, distributed anywhere in the world and they can be scaled. And one of the major limitations of mannequin based simulation which are the computer-controlled yeah. dummies, is we can only get a few people through the simulation center at a time. So you, you end up having a throughput issue when you have a lot of healthcare workers that you have to train at the same time. Yeah, there's so, only so many mannequins, but you, you've got as many computers as you need to, to run these simulations. Are you doing exactly. them on Macs? Yeah, so we do. It depends on the platform. Sometimes we'll have to run the Mac. Um, we'll have to run Windows and emulation. Um, sometimes we can just use the plain Mac environment without having to to use an emulator at all. Yeah, because those engines and, are built for, they're applied to both both platforms. But Yeah, most, they are. Most, um, most, go ahead. Well, there's just additional costs sometimes to yeah. move it from one platform to the other, and we're especially excited about the opportunity of moving it on to things like the iPad and iPhone as yeah, well. That, that's next. I, I just bought Katie. You're not much of a gamer, are you, Katie? No. I don't no. know. Well, I, I bought the um, Knights of the Old Republic $10 on my iPad. That was something that was on the Xbox in something like 2003 or something. I don't know how old it is. But just the idea that you can run that stuff on an iPad. It's a full-on first, I guess, single-player game that puts you in an environment walking around. I could see why you could do that with hospitals. Are you a gamer, Jeff, but at all? I do. I play some games. Okay. So, so you, how do the graphics and like technologies compare to kind of the cutting edge games versus the stuff you guys are doing at Duke? Well, it's, uh, we actually use the exact same game engine. So part of teaching, especially the younger generation of learners, you know, when they, leave the hospital setting, they go home and they play these commercial games. So if you have something that looks three generations old, that automatically puts you behind the eight ball. So much of the stuff we're doing is really pretty hard to tell from commercial games. Now, do you guys like, like you're saying transitioning a patient from one section of the hospital to the other, do you like build a map of your hospital and say, okay, how would you take this patient from here to there? Or I, I'm just a little, I'm just curious about how all this works. Well, so handovers um, are an issue. There's actually two types of handovers. There's one where, say, I had a patient in the operating room and I took them to the intensive care unit. Uh, 
I have to let the team that's going to take over care of that patient know exactly what happened in the operating room and transition the care to that team as well. And there are critical pieces of information that have to be transferred from one team to the other. So that that's one form of handover. And then the other is moving um, between a, a single service. So if uh, one of my cardiology colleagues was going to leave the hospital, they have to hand over their current patients that are in the hospital to the person that's coming on. And so that's a second type of handover. It's called a shift to shift handover. And unfortunately, um, that is a place where uh, information uh, doesn't get transmitted or the wrong information can be, trans can be transmitted. It's a, an international problem, actually. And so we're one of the places that's working on it, but I think we're taking a novel approach to training and actually re-engineering how handovers take place within the hospital. I can feel Katie is getting itchy and she's about to tell me I can't talk about this stuff anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but just as one last follow up, um, and, and I promise we're going to talk about Mac stuff very shortly. What type of, I'm kind of also interested in the idea of collecting data about how these simulations run to use it, to improve kind of the hospital workflows and, and the procedures you use. I mean, what type, how do you collect that data? I mean, I guess, so they just track the, what people do through the game or the simulation. Well, um, so in education, we have this cycle of learning where you assess where uh, a healthcare worker may not have a command of an area and then you perform an, uh, an intervention on that person. And then you make an assessment, whether you filled that gap in their, their knowledge or skills and as you know, the world is moving towards electronic health records right now. So we're going to have tons of clinical data from about where people are not meeting standards of practice. And using that data, then we can build um, simulations that actually target those areas. But then instead of using traditional forms of evaluation, we just go back and look in our, our clinical electronic health record to see whether we've made a difference or not. So that's, that's sort of the vision that we're moving towards in the games themselves. Everything is a data point. So every choice that someone makes, anything that someone clicks on, everything becomes a data point that we can analyze and aggregate and compare folks to one another or compare hospitals to one another. So eventually I think they'll, but that is, particular type of learning is going to have a huge role in how physicians and nurses are certified and recertified. You know, I've known you Jeff for a couple of years and I had no idea you were doing that stuff. That's huh? thanks for sharing that. <laughs> when, when you analyze the data, do you, uh, would you in a spreadsheet or, or is it built software it's, built for the, the simulation? Yeah. So it is a combination of both. It's more spreadsheets now, but eventually it's going to, um, move to what's called big data because there's just so much data that pours out of these environments that it's going to need new ways actually of interpreting all of it. 
Well, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the tools that you actually use in your practice. And, you know, one example is I know the last time I was in a hospital, I, most of the doctors and the med students now had iPads and iPad minis and those those big lab coats that they carry around. So I want to talk more about that. Um, but before we do, David, I would like you to talk about our first sponsor. I'd be happy to, Katie. <laughs> our first sponsor is pa- uh, One Password, a longtime sponsor of the show and just a great company. So One Password is an application. It's multi-platform on your Mac, your PC, your iPhone, your iPad, Android, you name it, they got you covered. And it creates and stores strong and unique passwords. They sync everything through Dropbox, or if you're using all the Apple stuff like me, through iCloud. And I love that iCloud sync, by the way. It's just so easy to turn it on and let it go. Um, it auto-fills the passwords in multiple web browsers. It's got the go and fill button, so you can go to a website, automatically fill in your big password, and get to work. So I've got a muggle story. Um, I have a friend uh, it, related to the day job who's just had a recent hacking and it, you know i said oh, let me help you out and i i installed one password on his mac for him and taught him how to use it and he came i, I did this on a friday and he came back on monday so invigorated he was you know this person is not at all a a nerd or a geek but he was so excited about one password over the weekend he had put all his stuff in it he had figured out how to install it on his iphone and sync it through icloud i told him you could do it but i didn't show him how and it was just, you could just see it was so empowering. And he was telling me how now he's got his wife, he's going to get his wife on it. And, you know, he's like an evangelist for this product. And that's kind of the power of 1Password. If you haven't used it yet, you've been listening to us talk about it for a long time. Go try it. And even this guy who's not a geek got really excited about it. So if you're listening to this show, just think about how excited this will make you. And um, uh, with the new version 4.1 just came out as we're recording this. And they've added a new feature that I really love. It's the ability to update login passwords right from the browser extension. This is something I've always wanted in one password. So when you update your password at a website, you know, ideally using their strong password generator, the new save dialog box has the option to create a new login or update existing login. So if you have more than one login for the site, you can choose which login to update. Toss in the ability to tag and add this login to a folder on the fly. And with this is a much more efficient way to create new logins and update them um, down the road when the need arises. So this is a, a really great new feature. And it's just another example of why 1Password is so awesome. These guys just never sleep. They're always trying to make a better product. Uh, you can get it from the Mac App Store for forty nine ninety nine. That's what I did, and we've got it installed on all the Macs in our house. If you're, uh, you know, both in the Mac and Windows world, you can get a bundle from the website for sixty nine ninety nine. That's another good way to do it. Go check it out, and thanks One Password for sponsoring the show. Yeah, and c- completely unrelated to the product itself, I, I just want to mention this morning, actually, um, I was noticing that the, the Singleton videos came out. I'm going to have to go to that conference one year. But yeah, me too. I want to go. Our good friend Dave Thierry, who's one of the original, um, well, he's half of, of 1Password. He and Roostim did it. But he actually gave a, a talk at Singleton, and he talked a little bit about the background of how they founded 1Password and what some of their company philosophies were. And, and he talked about how it really it almost stopped a couple of years ago and how they almost gave up and why they ultimately didn't. And um, it's about an hour. It's available on Vimeo and the Singleton channel if you take a look at it. But it was a really good talk. And um, I, I just – it. It makes you like them even more because it talks about some of the philosophy of, of their company and what they wanted to create. So, 
Anyway. Yeah, and we're going to put that in the show notes. So go listen to it. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeff, how how has have things changed? Uh, you know, I know one of the things that that we're seeing is um, in the medical records. You know, all of at least here, and I, I think it's nationwide. All of our medical records are starting to go electronic. And now, when you go to the doctor's office or you go to the hospital, your people are carrying around iPads and they're they're logging into computers. And it, it's we're getting rid of all of these pads of paper and we're getting rid of all these electronic charts and. I think that's ultimately a very good thing. Of course, it, it brings along a, a lot of challenges. But what kind of technology are you are you using day to day? And I know most of these are, are PC based systems. And and how does a Mac guy get along? Yeah. So we, our hospital, like many others, has moved to the electronic health record. We have something called Maestro Care that's based on Epic and. Uh, there have been a lot of changes. We used to stuff our pockets full of books and now they've actually changed our lab coats and just have one pocket for uh, an iPad. They've actually changed the size of the pockets and really? coats, so it'll wow. accommodate a lab. iPad, iPad mini or yeah, it's funny. We had the same. Well, this was before. Yeah. Before the mini came out, they were changing. They started changing the size of the pockets. Now I don't wear a, a lab coat because I, I get to wear my uh, my scrubs most days when I'm in the operating room. Uh, and so I, my technology, I, I carry around an iPad with a keyboard. So I, I have the Zag Folio keyboard. And that allows me, we use a Citrix client to connect to an instance of Epic. And, uh, and I can look up patients and write orders and do things on the move no matter where I actually am in the operating room. Um, so are you using a, a mini or a, or a full-size iPad? I use a full-size iPad because just because of real estate. Uh, with an, Some of my colleagues actually do use minis, but I find the type is too small for me, my, my failing eyes. And I really like the full-size keyboard that makes me a lot more productive when I'm typing orders or trying to navigate around various places in the electronic health record. Yeah. You know, I had to make that decision too. And I just bought an iPad air and I like the mini, but there's sometimes where I just need the air. And so I figured need outweighs like, yeah. Uh, yeah, see, I just, I bought my mini and I'm loving, 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 loving my mini, but I will tell you the, the keyboard is a, is a learning curve for me. And when you see the tweets that are filled with typos and the email responses that aren't quite right, that that would be because I'm still getting used to the keyboard on my mini. But I'm I'm convinced that I'll get it. Yeah, I, I, you'll feel. You know, you have a purse, so that makes yeah, that's like a big trump. You know, that means you've got it with you purse. all the time. Yeah, be, it'd be better <laughs> if I had a lab coat. I, I could, could see Katie wearing a lab coat. Yeah, it'd be better if I had a lab coat. I could just stick it in my pocket. But we could set you up. Okay. Maybe you should just start wearing one to work every day, Katie. <laughs> and and just say this is <laughs> this is my thing. This is what I'm. Yeah, wearing. and then we'll just put a sign over your door when you sit down to like write a brief. It'll say the doctor is in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you face a- paint lab coat? Why not? <laughs> Perfect. So are you able to um to access and get into these records? Is this through a dedicated um or, or do these. Are, are these through app-based interfaces? Or are you having to um, remote access into a computer with some kind of remote yeah, access so, software on your on your iPad? Or so we're always concerned about patient privacy, and there's sure. the HIPAA laws as well. So it's a it's a secure 
a connection to the dedicated servers. It's basically an app. It's a Citrix app that we connect to from our mobile device to the server, and that allows us to interact with it, but not actually download any of the information to the iPad. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to get at, though, is it is it truly an app interface or is it a computer interface that you're you're kind of accessing through an app and, and therefore you're oh. you're mo- you're you know, you're just making do with it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a computer interface. And that's part of the reason I'm on the full size iPad, because it doesn't shrink well. They already use all the right. real estate on a full computer. And so even on the full size iPad, there are some challenges inter- working with that interface. Yeah, it'd be nice if someone could, if they could develop, and I'm sure there's a way to do it, to develop a customized app that, that is designed for these, that's, that's secure, so you can't download the information and that it, you know, makes you go through certain protocols, but is, is an app interface so that it is optimized for the iPad, because it, it sounds like that's what everybody's using. Yeah, we're certainly interested in that. We're also interested in other f- forms of technology. So, uh, you know, things like Google Glass, where you can wear them and access access information on the fly. Uh, we, we're we trying to work on all those types of things now. Now, I'm going to get freaked out if my doctor starts wearing Google Glass. <laughs> uh, now, you point that thing somewhere else, man. No. Yeah. Well, well that, that's kind of an interesting side topic I'd like to go off, because, Jeff, I was following you both on your website and on Twitter when you were talking about using Google Glass, because you, you actually used one for a couple months, didn't you? Well, I, I'm one of the explorers. They call them one of the explorers. So we have one of the prototypes of the glass at Duke and are interested in building different um, applications for the device. I've tried it. And to me right now, it really reminds me of how the iPhone was when it first came out. The technology is really cool, um, but there's still not a lot of software there. And I, my kids agree with you, Katie. You know, I, I, when I try and wear them around, they try and get me to take them off. I, they don't, <laughs> I guess people haven't gotten used to the idea of having that camera always there. But, um, I've, I've actually found it quite handy, especially when I want to grab pictures of things when we do some of our training. Uh, it's not as convenient to pick up your iPhone and actually point it in the direction you want. It's much easier if you can just snap a picture at whatever you're looking at. So even that built-in app, I found some utility for, but ultimately there'll be interfaces for the electronic health record and all sorts of cognitive aids. And there are lots of opportunities for that type of wearable device. Now help me, help me out with that. I'm sorry, David. I was just going to help me out with that a little bit because I know very superficially about Google glass. I, I know that it's a device that you put on your, on your face. I know it's got a video camera built in. I know it has the ability to take pictures. Um, And then it obviously has the API that developers can, can plug into and use and and especially we as is Apple fanboys and girls like to make fun of it. Uh, in fact, if you tell Siri "Okay, Glass," she'll come up with a lot of of cute little comical responses. But 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 talk a little bit about if you can while we're on this topic. Um, you know, you just mentioned taking photos of things when you're in meetings or maybe even video recording meetings. What do you see in the future as some of the practical applications for for Google Glass in a field like yours? Because I'm sure there are some. Well, I can't right now. One of the limitations of glass is it sends everything to the Google servers. And so we have to be really careful of using it in true clinical environments for those privacy 
yeah, reasons again. HIPAA violation. But, yeah. Right. It's a HIPAA violation. But our, in our simulation lab, because we can replicate anywhere in the hospital, I can test all sorts of applications there. So from a picture or movie standpoint, when we're doing training, I can put glass on one of the learners and ha- record things from their eyes and then go back and talk about what they were thinking at any particular time as they were performing uh, a procedure. Uh, we and, uh, and from the pictures, when we did our initial training with our, our new anesthesia residents, I could snap a picture instantly because anytime I got an inkling to want to capture something, I just had to touch a button. Uh, you could do it with your voice as well, but that would be a little intrusive. And I snapped a picture. So I took about 600 pictures of our new residents doing various things during their training. So those are the, the built-in apps. But eventually, because of that API, there are all sorts of opportunities to interf- interface with clinical data. And if you talk to patients about how they like some of these electronic health records, one of the things that patients will tell you they dislike is that the physician's always looking at a computer screen instead of at the patient. And so these types of heads-up displays will allow us actually to look more at our patients and less at the computers, which I think ultimately will be a good thing. Yeah, they, it seems like the concept of Google Glass, and I, I've never laid hands on one of these, um, has definite applications like law enforcement or medicine where you could be in an operating room and it could be feeding you live data through patient monitoring or whatever you know data you need to do your particular job um so long as it wasn't too distracting uh yeah but, but the um uh, the idea of that being something that we all carry around where we've all got a camera running at all times um you know, I was going to say, I've always been somebody who's really excited about just about every new technology. And this one I find a bit terrifying, especially in light of disclosures about how much companies like Google and the government and everybody is, is monitoring all these electronic bits we're creating. So I, I really don't know what to think about it. Um, but I think just I, the, the benefit, you know, the benefits, uh, we have to decide whether the benefits outweigh the risks I, from my, my standpoint, I can run up to four operating rooms at a time. And so it now gives me the opportunity if I'm in one place handling something urgent and something else comes up in another room, I can actually then beam myself into the other room and see what's going on through someone else's eyes and triage in real time what's going on instead of relying on someone calling me on the phone and describing what's going on. I can actually glimpse something through their eyes in the room as well as see all the vital signs and everything else. So yeah. And that, that makes so much sense to me that that's a great application of this technology. But when you read about going to the Google IO event and going into the restroom and everybody standing at a urinal is wearing Google glasses. Um, yeah, no, yeah. You know, so ex- there's, there's a line somewhere. I'm not exactly right, so sure I, where it is, but that's yeah, all I make sure I, I hand them off to a friend or a family member before I head into the restroom. Yeah. I don't know. there's an evolving uh, sense of privacy and, and technology. And we're kind of in the middle of that. Our generation is, it'll be interesting to see what the next generation does, but it's, it's definitely becoming a possibility. Um, So when you use the Google glass, did you have any interface with the Apple stuff as you were doing it? Or is it all just based on Google's uh, servers and, and your Gmail account? 
Um, it's primarily based with Google technology, but there are apps. You can run Google Hangouts from your iPad, so you can actually go back and forth between the Google Glass and, and the iPad. Interesting. Well, I, you're the first person that I read about using one that I said, oh, that makes sense. You know, a, a lot of these tech guys are, are wearing them around and I'm not sure why, but, um, but a doctor to me, I can see there being a real future for that type of technology. I guess anybody who needs immediate access to that kind of information, like as an attorney, I can't see, although maybe it'll happen someday standing in court and having like cases or briefs stuck in front of my face. I mean, I, when I'm in front of the court or the jury, I know what I want to say. I don't need that. That would be yeah. a distraction. Well, in medicine for a long time, people were taught to rely on their memory, but as the amount of information in medicine has expanded, people have realized that's not always the best way to, uh, to do the best thing. And yeah. so, um, there has been a push for something called cognitive aids, which means basically a checklist or something that, leads you along the right pathway. And so that's yet another use if someone is having a heart attack uh, to bring up the true evidence-based protocol on what should be done at each step yeah. rather than the individual having to rely on their memory in a really high-stress situation. So I, I do think the the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. And um, it, it they've been fun to, to try and think about. And we have many, many different use cases for them. So we're just trying to get some stuff done with them. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about how you're using your iPad, especially in the context of, of medicine and, um, you know, just even in some of your more administrative tasks. But I think before we do, I want to talk about our second sponsor for this week, and that is Pixelmator. And I love talking about Pixelmator, especially around the holidays, because uh, I personally like to give, um, you know, some of these more personalized gifts for Christmas. I've done a lot of, a lot of photo-based gifts for Christmas. And then you also, around the holidays, you're visiting your family, and, and you're probably taking a lot of photos. And so these are good opportunities to take some of these photos that you've taken around the holidays. A lot of them are inside. Maybe you've got some lights in the background. Maybe they aren't the best photos. Um, but they've... they've They've got some of your most important people in them and go ahead and, and clean them up and, and do something special with them. And you can do that using Pixelmator. And there was a big update to Pixelmator, uh, I think back in October. So it hasn't really been that long ago. And Pixelmator version 3.0 came out recently. They actually call it 3.0 FX. And I mean, first off, it was a free update for all current users of Pixelmator. So it's amazing that they were able to offer that kind of functionality. And secondly, Pixelmator just keeps getting better and better in terms of the tools. And I think you can really say now, not that you couldn't before, but as if there was any question that Pixelmator is really a professional grade app for a very, very reasonable low price. And it's just astounding what you can do with Pixelmator. Um, some of the new tools that they brought into Pixelmator version 3.0 is you can now um, apply layer styles. So you can color layers, you can add gradients to layers, you can add outlines and shadows and reflections, and you can all do these on a layer-by-layer -layer basis. And if that 
No, those are things that previously you needed much higher level image editing programs to be able to do that were costing, you know, 10, 20 times what something like Pixelmator would cost. Um, kind of a fun one that I like to use on particular members of my family would be um, some of their liquify tools. So if you want to take somebody and kind of melt their face off, you can do that. Um, but if you wanted to use it for you know, good instead of perhaps evil. Um, you can also do fun things like, uh, you can create really unique effects. I like to do this sometimes in the, in the background of images where if you want to, um, you know, kind of, kind of create a, an artistic, David, who is that artist who did the, the guy who's kind of screaming with the, maybe Jeff knows, you know, with the, with the background that's kind of twirling around anyway. You got me. Okay. Yeah, I don't know either. Our so. Art history is something I would really like to get better at. All right. Well, we're going to have like 20 people email us and tell us. But you can yeah. you can do really fun fun tools with that. So you can really take your images and step them up to the next level. And if you want to learn how to do that kind of fun stuff, great time while you've got some free time over the holidays. Go check out Pixelmator.com and click on their tutorial section. Because they've got dozens and dozens of tutorials now that will teach you how to use all of these these super cool tools and to really make the most out of your photos. So you can find Pixelmator. It's available in the Mac app store, which means if you buy it once, you get to use it on all the machines that are associated with your account. And it is only 30 bucks. But if you are still not convinced after you've checked out their website, after you've viewed the tutorials, after you've seen all the amazing things that you can do with Pixelmator, you can try it before you buy. So if you go on their website, they've got a 30 day free trial, download it, try out Pixelmator, play around with some of your family photos with it. And then you can go ahead and when you're ready to buy, pick it up from the Mac App Store. Yeah, great application. And I, I hear that the uh, the high-end graphic designer who does all the Mac Sparky Field Guides exclusively uses Pixelmator. Yeah, I used only the best in the business. And that guy uses <laughs> Pixelmator. <laughs> your, your graphics guy uses Pixelmator? Oh, yeah. He's so smart. Yeah. Uh, so our thanks to Pixelmator for their continued support of the show. Katie, you notice how I sound like um, my voice is kind of messed up? Can you hear my cold? Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about it. Yeah. It's like kind of like if you're old enough, you remember Sade? I, f- I sound like Sade. Maybe you should have some tea. I should. You know, there's people, there's there's rumblings on the Twitter about you and me and tea. I think we need to talk about it someday. Well, Maybe I will we'll tell you that. a separate that show for Dan. Just the, the tea show. The, um, the Twitters universally do not like my Keurig. Yeah. Sorry. Me neither do I. Well. I have nothing but... I'm not going to say how I feel about your Keurig. All right. I'm sorry, Jeff, Jeff. So you're yes. carrying an iPad with you all day. And that's one of the, in the last segment, the statements that I wrote down. So I understand you're, you're logging into your system for you know HIPAA compliance and getting into your network, but you must be running a lot of other apps just to get through the day. What, what are the apps you're using to, to be an all day iPadder? I do. So I really use it almost like a surrogate, uh, laptop. I use, uh, I do my word processing on it. I've got my mail there. So it really helps me get through the day because many times I can't get to my office during the day. I'm usually somewhere in the clinical part of the hospital and our offices are located elsewhere. So I, um, I'm pretty dependent on, uh, by word. I use that quite a bit. Well, um, I keep coming back to that one too. I got to admit, I mean, editorial is great and we did a whole show on it, but just the ability to write some text down and have it show up on my Mac, on my phone and on my iPad with, with markdown tools 
that solves yeah. so many of my problems. I agree. I keep trying the new stuff, but I keep going back to that program over and over. I just, I like the simplicity of it and I've got it synchronizing with Dropbox, which I'm very, very dependent on as well. But then yeah, that, that information ends up anywhere that I'm sitting. So do you, when you write something about like, well, what type of information would you write in Byword? Would it be like patient notes or give me more um, detail? So more of the academic side, um, most of the information that we're doing for patients is, is recorded in the electronic health record. So that's a single app. But uh, because I have uh, other areas that I work in the hospital, especially the academic side, if I'm writing a paper or a grant and I've got a few minutes, I can sit down and write on my iPad. And, and you're doing that with the Zagfolio. Yeah, the Zagfolio. I had... Another keyboard in the past that did not have a traditional uh, traditional set of keys, and I thought I could overcome it, but it really killed my productivity. I would say my typing speed dropped to about a quarter of what it typically is, and it ended up just driving me crazy. And found the, the Zagfolio, and I've been very, very happy with it. it now, is this of, the one that folds up into the case, or it's a separate device? It is. It folds into the case, um, so it it it's a little heavy. Is my only complaint about it, but it, it is a single case. I'm sitting here looking at it now, and um, I do. I carry it with me. I we don't have big enough pockets, unfortunately, in our scrub, so I have to put it down all the time. And I've been pretty good. I've never lost it, but um, that's the one downside. There's nothing to carry it. I've tried different types of slings and nothing just seems to work. Right. So, so if you're writing, there you a, go. A gr- we need to design bigger scrub pants, pockets. <laughs> Seems you should get on that, Katie. You I should will. use your, uh, your, or you, you could, use your- you, you could do like a pouch, like a little kangaroo pouch. <laughs> <laughs> you could use your experience with your, um, with your jacket, Katie. We could design actually, we we could design a whole line of clothing for professionals with with iPod pouches. Yeah, at the I, at the MacWorld um, that we presented at together, there was actually someone there that was working on a sling for the iPad that would fold down, and you would basically be able to just fold the keyboard down and start typing, and then flip it back up and walk. Yeah, that, I haven't seen the technology yet. I, I just can't wait to see you go meet a patient wearing that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> um, they will think you're an Android, but the, uh, but so I want to go back. So you're talking about maybe be putting together a grant proposal. Now, do you write the whole thing in Byword, um, or do you write, you know, like for me as an example, sometimes I will have portions of a book or a brief or something I'm working on, and I'll open a Byword file and I'll just write a subtopic that I know I need to write. And then there's other yeah. times where I'll keep the whole, you know, whole tamale in, in a so Byword by, document. Yeah. So Byword's kind of in the middle of my workflow. So I don't know if that's something you want to talk about. I, when I'm writing something, usually the first step is to go find scholarly information. So I go and find academic articles and I have ways that I, I do that, that I've talked about in my, my blog, um, which is, ways, uh, it's called WIPP, W-I-P-P-P dot com. It stands for Workflows in Professional and Personal Productivity. 
Um, so that's the first step is to collect those papers. And then you have to read the papers. And I have a different workflow for how I capture the information that I want to capture as I'm reading and highlighting those papers. I know you, what I do. Are you capturing um, the papers on as PDFs in some app or? Yeah. So I use an application called, uh, actually it's called papers is yeah. the name. Um, and I think in academics, most people are familiar with something called EndNote. That was the traditional program that people used for many, many years. And the thing that it did was format your bibliography for you, which uh, if you've ever formatted a bibliography by hand, it's an incredible pain in the yeah. butt. Yeah. And so EndNote for many, many years was the go-to program. But in my opinion, uh, it just didn't keep up with the technology. And so I went looking a couple of years ago for alternate alternatives and looked at a couple different products. And there's, there's several actually out there, but at the time papers really made the most sense to me. And uh, so all my workflows, my academic workflows are actually uh, centered on papers and how I capture things in there and aggregate them. I, I use Devon think to, actually read what's in the papers and so I can find information later. So it's a multi-step process. Um, it, is Devin think driving that data down to the iPad now? So I don't use the mobile version of Devin think uh, very much at all. I do. I do the majority of my setting up of academic work on my MacBook pro and I use the iPad to peck away at pieces of whatever it is I'm writing. So if I'm setting up a big project, I go through most of the workflow on my Mac and get it set up. And that goes from basically outlining to Scrivener. And then Scrivener can actually output into um, individual text files. So I, yes. I feed those text files into uh, my Dropbox, and then whatever part of the manuscript that I am interested in working on at any particular time, I can bring up that individual text note and and type it out. And then when I get back to my computer and resynchronize, it's back in Scrivener. So it's uh, it's pretty handy. I know they're working on an iPad version of Scrivener, but it's been promised for a while. I still haven't seen it. Uh, and I, I'm told that they're actually making a lot of progress on that now. So hopefully that won't be so long away, but that I'm so dependent on that program as well. It's me too, me too, brother. Yeah. I, I was even looking at recently. I wrote a post about Ulysses, which is a, I think it's kind of between Scrivener and a traditional word processor. There's a lot to like about it. Yeah, but they, they as well don't really have a good iPad syncing solution. And the iPad, like you, is such a big part of the way I get writing done because I'm constantly on the move. And the ability to have this really light little device I can open up and start, start tapping into is, is really useful. Now, with Scrivener, the one thing you have to be careful with the workflow that you have is is not is making sure you don't start working on the same note in two places at once. I mean, yeah. you really, it is a... The sync method in Scrivener right now really is one of these things where you have to throw salt over your shoulder and do a bunch of things to make sure you don't screw anything up. Have you ever run into any of those conflicts? Um, so I have it set up, Scrivener set up, so every time I launch 
Scrivener, and every time I close it down, it resynchronizes. Yeah. So I I really haven't had that problem. And you just have to um, always remember to turn it off when you're done. You don't leave Scrivener running on your Mac. No, I typically don't. Yeah. I usually will close it down. But um, and then uh, so that's the writing part. But Devin Think is such a huge part of uh, what I do academically too. Um, that that is just a, fab- a fabulous program. I be talk, dead in the water if I didn't have access to that. Talk a little more about Devon Think because we've had so many people ask us to do a show on Devon Think and, and maybe you and some other people are just going to have to come back and help us do one because David, neither David or I use it and so that's that's really been our hesitation but tell us how you, how you use Devon Think and, and what that does for you that other apps don't. What, what problem does that solve for you? So I found the way that it finds information to be incredibly useful. And there are different ways of getting information into DevonThink. One is to actually put it directly into a DevonThink database. But the other is just to point DevonThink at a folder on your computer, and it will actually read it just like it's in the application. So, so I guess that's hi- called index- getting indexing. Hi- is what- Sorry, higher level, what DevonThink does is it has this 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 AI, this artificial intelligence kind of built into it that is is really good at it organizing and analyzing information is is basically what Devon think does at its heart, right? It does. And okay. it, um it's it's actually pretty uncanny how good it can be. Uh it, yeah, the artificial interface is is quite impressive. So I can then type in a, terch, uh, a search string. Say I was looking for the efficacy of games-based learning. Oh, I'll okay. type that text string in, and it will find every PDF, every comment, everything that I've made in any of my indexed folders. So I use DevonThink to actually index my papers, um, folders. I use it for indexing all of my comments. And so everything then, it's like an aggregation of just my academic information, but I can find anything relevant to a search topic by doing that. And I found it's an, just incredibly useful. And so do you do you primarily use DevonThink just, just to search? You point it at a folder where you know that you store all these particular documents and you search and then you go and, okay, well, this is what I'm looking for. And then, then you take that and you throw that in a Scrivener and you use that for writing projects or, or do you do more with dev on things? Is it, is it just a search engine for you or how do you use it? I use it as a repository too. So if I have uh, web-based information that I want to collect, I'll actually import that directly into dev and think. Um, so it's a mishmash. It's, it, it's a really versatile tool you can use in a bunch of different ways. Um, but I'd say the main reason I am using it is its ability to search whatever information I put in there. That that really is its strength. And it, it actually gets so smart uh, after you've started categorizing information, there's something that a feature that will actually suggest where you should file a piece of information. It gives you a hierarchy of where it thinks a piece of information should be filed based on the contents of that piece of information. And so, and how does that fit in with the, the research features of Scrivener? Do you just keep it all in DevonThink and not use that? Yeah. So when I'm writing, um, if I'm planning a project, what I would typically do is grab those articles, uh, 
first, and then um, I import them into papers. And I have paper set up to use a, a highlighting program for PDFs that's called Skim that's actually fine-tuned for academic use. So I highlight all my papers in Skim. And there's a feature in Skim where I can export each one of the highlights um, as an individual file. There's a, actually a script that I use there. And so as I highlight anything that I've highlighted in the paper, it pulls out as a text file that I can then comment on. So it might be a quote from the paper that I can add my own comments to. And then I typically also append the unique identifier from the paper's um, database. So each one of those comments then becomes a freestanding text file that can be searched individually. And those all get aggregated into this, this paper's folder with the PDF of the original paper. So by indexing that in DevonThink, I can search something and it will find just the individual comments that I that are relevant to whatever it is I'm searching for. What I can do then is pull those comments out and start rearranging them into a paper to support uh, whatever um, statement I've made. And because I've already got the information highlighted, papers just like EndNote that I was talking about will um, create a bibliography for you as yeah. well. So it's it saves me an incredible amount of time um, do, doing that workflow. And I read a lot and trying to keep track of, number one, where I saw a quote. If yeah. I, I tried to even dig through a paper individually, uh, I could find the paper, but I still have to find the quote within the paper. This allows me to, to zero in exactly on what I want very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah this motivates me. I'm going to get serious about Devon thing. Cause I, that there is research stuff. I do that. That would be very useful. And I've done it manually for years. Yeah. I think you'll, I think you'll really like it. Um, you should see the way I name some of these PDFs, you know, I <laughs> identify specific issues and I've got all, uh -huh. I've got this folder full of them. I, I think I need to, I'm going to have to go in there and really give it a shot. I wonder the, um, if there's any way I could use Devon thing like with my, Evernote database because well, there's a lot of people who are doing their paperless storage with Evernote. I'm sorry, with the Devon, with thing. Devon thing. I get emails all the time about that. Yeah. yeah. It's just a very, very flexible tool. It's, um, it's got different tags, but uh, the indexing feature is the one I use most frequently. And, um, I, there, there are some pr programs I just could not live without. Uh, for what I do, and that's one of them. Well, um, I want to talk next about what you do to outline, and you know, once you've got the stuff you want, how you build it into something. Uh, but before I do that, I want to talk about a sponsor, and that's Hover. And Hover is simplified domain management. You know, everybody these days wants to get domains. If you have a new kid, you want to buy the domain for them. But you always feel like when you go to buy a domain, you're just getting into a den of snakes because the, the way these domain companies work, they're, they're not very fun to work with. Uh, hover is, is the exception in hover. You go to their website, hover.com type in a few keywords and hover figures out the domain for you. They've got.com they've got.net, which is really popular. Now it stands for internet. So you could get, you know, Katie Floyd is a face painter.net just 
theoretically. Theoretically. And, and, um, then, but the, the other thing is it's no hard sell. You know, they don't try and throw check boxes at you. And, you know, a lot of these domain services use gamesmanship in the wrong way where they make it really hard for you to navigate their system without having spent another $30 on things you didn't need. Hover doesn't do that. You, you buy a domain, you, you know, you pay for it. You've got it, you know, find it, click it, buy it. Boom. You're done. You got a, you got a domain and I buy all my domains through hover. Um, they now have Google apps. So if you've been curious about Google apps and you want to use it in a good environment, hover is a way. So you buy your domain through hover and then you can sign up for the Google apps account and they've got a free 30 day trial if you want to try it out. But you know, you get all those great, you know, Gmail calendar, all that stuff you get with, with the Google services. But the problem you always have with Google is there's no phone number you can call. You know, there's nobody to help you out if there's a problem. Well, if you get it through Hover, you get that great Hover customer service to go with those Google apps, which is, in my mind, the only way to do something like that. Uh, and they do have great support. There's actual humans with actual phones. You, you pick up the phone, you call them, they're going to help you. I When I switched over um, MaxBarkey.com from my old domain service to Hover, I was completely freaked out because I've got a pretty big audience and I didn't want people to wake up and find out that the website was no longer there. And they walked me through it. They assured me and they, they actually got into my old domain server and they, they clicked the boxes for me. I gave them access and they took care of it all. So I didn't, I knew that somebody who did this every day was making the transition and not someone like me who really had no clue what I was doing. Uh, so Hover really solves those problems for me. It's a domain service uh, provider with integrity. They also have IMAP email, by the way, if you don't want to use the Google stuff. Uh, so go and use the code MacPowerUsers or visit Hover.com slash MacPowers and you'll get 10% off everything. So thanks, Hover, for supporting the show. And everybody, go check out Hover to get your domains. I want to say two things about Hover. Number one, it's uh, Hover.com slash MacPowerUsers. You had a little Skype hiccup. I don't know if that'll get picked up on the on the audio recording or not. And we'll, we'll go there. That helps us yeah, out. Hover.com slash Mac power users or coupon code Mac power users. And number two, Max Barkey, Max Barkey.com is available. Oh man. Now you're going to make me go buy it, Katie. No, <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> or somebody else can go get it. I'm just saying it's possible that I just bought it. Katie Floyd just cost me $15. <laughs> no, a- less if you use the coupon code Mac power users. Uh, save me $1.50. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. You owe me a taco the next time we meet. <laughs> all right. <laughs> See, but uh, somebody else could have got it and could have done all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, you're right. You just saved me a lot. I just I'm, saved I'm you gonna, so much it, embarrassment. It's going to direct at Max Sparky now. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it could have directed to the to this fan site that I was planning. But... <laughs> You know, uh, and then she would have used Pixelmator to make me a face painter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no. And and for the record, Max Barky on Twitter is not me. <laughs> I wondered. It's I not. Wonder. I swear it's not. <laughs> but anyway. Um, anyway, so so Jeff, you do all this research and then you write it. So do you do the outline in Scrivener or somewhere else? So uh, I. Typically, we'll start with a bind map, uh, and so I'm such a big fan of those these days. Which which app are you using for them? Yeah, I've gone. I've used a bunch of different ones, but um, I'm back to uh, MindNode now. You, you know, I am too. After I've been, 
I've been banging the drum for iThoughts HD for so long, and I really like it. And I actually, I don't, I've never met the developer personally, but we've emailed back and forth over the years, and I think he's a really great guy. But this MindNode, they came out with a version three, I believe, the last couple of weeks on the iOS devices. And it really just, I think it just really does a great job of setting up a iOS 7 type user interface. And the iCloud sync is just so, it's so easy. You know, it's, you know, there's a lot of knocks against iCloud, but stuff like, like MindNode are, or, or ByWord for that matter, are just a really great poster child for iCloud because you can work on it on your iPad and you show up on your Mac and it's just there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, like the interface too. I've tried some of the others. I would use Nova Mind for a while, but I just I like the clean interface of MindNode, and it's relatively simple to use. And I only spend a little bit of time in there. It's basically just throwing down thoughts about what it is I want to say. But I pretty rapidly then move to an outline, and I typically use Omni Outline for that. Um. I've been trying something called Tinderbox, which is, um, I see a lot of promise, but it's also a little hard to learn. It's got a pretty steep learning curve, and I haven't had a lot of time to, to dive into all the power features yeah. of that and app. But. There are a lot of academics using Tinderbox, and as I understand, it's a Mac app. I don't, do they have an iPad app now? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, but that, I I hear from a lot of academics that love Tinderbox. Well, well, tell us what like, Tinderbox is. Um, it is. It's hard to explain. Actually, it's yeah. no, noted um, silence hy- from David at that point. Hypertext. Um, I guess I would call it an outliner with a lot of features. It's it, it but that would actually do it a disservice. What you can do is is outline information, but then represent it in all sorts of different ways. So, it, uh, it certainly has a a mind mapping component to it. It's very graphical, right? And uh, so, I've experimented with taking and importing various comments into the app to try and see where they fit. Um, actually, it was based on Derek. You know, I learned a lot from Derek from that show, uh, the, the, the Mac Power Users 100 yeah, episode, show. Episode 100. He, uh, I think he's actually a power user uh, for Tinderbox, and I learned a little bit about uh, how he was using it there, but he's far beyond uh, what I've learned to do with it. But just the outlining and then the ability to move information around and see connections between different pieces of information you can set up scripts that actually read the different notes and find connections between the different notes within Tinderbox as well. But the, uh, the interface is, is very, I found it very non-intuitive. It's, it's hard for me and I just, I can tell there's tons of power there, but um, I just have not had the time to really take a deep dive into it. So many times I'll move from the outline into Scrivener, and then I end up doing the fair amount of the writing actually in Scrivener. If I'm on my computer, I'll just write directly in Scrivener. If I'm on my iPad, it will be in text. Mm-hmm. And at some point, when I'm happy with the outline, I will actually export the whole thing to 
a a text file again and polish it up in in Markdown. And only when I'm really happy with it do I move it over to one of the big formatting programs like Pages. Typically, I'll use Pages um, and finish up the, the, the project. It sounds like you don't have many collaborators in, in that workflow. Well, it depends. So we do. We actually, if we do something collaboratively, we tend to use um, Google Docs for writing. That would be the typical way that we would get something done where each of us tackles uh, a piece online and we share a common app. Um, There are issues with my workflow with some of the new apps since Mavericks came out, like the new pages and papers don't play well together. So that's been a problem for me. And I've had to change where I format my bibliography, actually do it in text now rather than in in pages, which I used to be able to do. Um, but yeah, collaboration is a whole different workflow. Um, and again, one of the trickiest things are the references when you're writing, you're citing other people's literature and you have to synchronize your libraries. So when you write that, or when you print out the bibliography, the actual citation is what you had intended it to be. And the other person, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to synchronize those. And that was a problem in the past with EndNote. We used to have hacks uh, that would allow us to be able to do that. And there are ways to actually send information from EndNote to to papers as well, back and forth, which has been a godsend for collaborative projects. It, it is getting easier, but um, I think you're right. Whenever you decide to collaborate, there's trade-offs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know when we were at Macworld, you talked to us a lot. Well, the the demo that you gave, and you ultimately ended up writing this up for for Macworld Magazine, was this great workflow that you had put together for taking notes and meetings using Text Expander. So, what I want to get into it at some point is how do you manage kind of your your day to day administrative stuff? Because a lot of people have asked us kind of while we're on this topic of writing, um, you know, how do you take notes on your on your iPad or, or how do you manage notes? And then and then where do you store all that stuff and and where do you put it? And so you've, you've talked to us a little bit about about long form writing. But is, is that also where all of your you know, what if it's just a quick note or, or, or kind of maybe walk us through your, your meeting workflow? What if it's not maybe a longer form piece that you're working on? What if it's notes on a file or what if it's notes from a meeting or, or what if it's just something that you've got to remember and, and there's just these little bits of information that, that come to us throughout the day? How do you manage all that stuff? Yes, yeah, so a little bits of information I typically throw into NVAlt. Um, I, I open that multiple, multiple times a day. It depends. And how, how do you go- sync that to the iPad? Um, I have it synced to Dropbox. Okay. So all my notes go to Dropbox. The disadvantage to that is they're each an individual note, and you can't protect the, the database itself. So each is a unprotected free text note. But for me, the convenience of being able to access that on any device really outweighs any any other issues. So, but don't you have like a text editor on your iPad that points at that folder with all those text files? Well, yeah. So if I'm in a meeting, um, I typically carry my iPad. I don't have my Mac with me and I tend to use drafts. That's mm-hmm. been my go-to app for a while. It's so great. And 
then um, I have a series of uh, text expander scripts. So I will hit a key combination for a meeting. It's dot MTX and it brings up a whole template that basically has the outline for a meeting pre-filled in for me. And I basically just fill in the title and type in the relevant information during the, uh, the meeting. And then one of the handy things about drafts is you can um, vector that information in multiple different directions. So I can send it to my NVL folder and Dropbox from within the drafts program. But I can also, I use OmniFocus, and so I can also send it to the OmniSync server directly from drafts as well. So it, it works for me. It keeps all that information in one place. And I go back to Dropbox again. Um, or, I'm sorry, DevonThink. It's actually synchronized my meeting folder in DevonThink as well. So I can find bits of information that are relevant to other bits of information that I'm working on. So you've got DevonThink looking at the Dropbox folder that has all your meeting minutes in it. Yep. Smart. Because yeah, that's smart. So all. Drop, uh, it, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, so my NVAlt folder is like a repository for anything that I find that I just want to capture text. So it has information on the web, but I also capture ideas in there. I capture meeting notes. So that is like my repository for very quick information. And by indexing it, I can find links between, you know, say I have a brainstorm and I, I type in an, uh, an idea I can see how that idea links to other information that I have within my DevonThink database. One of the one of the challenges I have with drafts because I I use it all the time as well is remembering to process my drafts because it's so easy to capture in there. Sometimes I'll capture a bunch of things and then a day or two will go by and I'll realize I haven't sent them to OmniFocus or sent them to somewhere that they need to be or even sent emails out of there. Um, so I don't know if you've had that problem, but I've really had to kind of train myself at the end of the day. I was just to go through and, and clear out whatever stuff I've got left in drafts. Yeah. I try to do it just there before I leave, but I I've done the same thing before you leave is in before you leave drafts. Like the, you, the meet- yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Before I, I close the app or before I leave the meeting, I, I don't feel like the meeting's finished until I've actually done something with that information. Yeah. Which would make you a lot smarter than me. Um, <laughs> but the, Jeff, do you, do you use dictation much? I do. I use dragon to write many things as well. If I'm sitting at my Mac, uh, I've actually been using it for quite a while. I think it's gotten much better over the last several years. Uh, they're actually special, um, add-ins for both medicine and, and legal words as well. But I just use the off the shelf product. I haven't purchased the medical. Some of my colleagues though, with doing their dictation in the electronic health record are actually using dragon, the medical version of dragon for dictating their notes about their patients. What, what about um, Siri dictation? Do you use that much since you've got the iPad with you all day? Um, I typically use it in the car when I'm driving, if I want to capture something to jot something pretty quickly. And I do use the dragon app. I found that's much more accurate than, uh, any other app that I've tried, but I'm still get a little frustrated with 
the accuracy of Siri. Um, and so sometimes it's not completely worth <laughs> worth the amount of time I invest in doing it. But yeah. I would say I typically do it when I'm in the car. If there's something I want to dictate, I'll I'll bang it out in Dragon, and then just remember to send it to myself, and I'll have the start of a, a email or whatever it is that I was trying to write. It's always just getting that the um the lousy first draft actually that's not the word i usually use for that but you get that lousy first draft in and using dictation is as good a way as any if you're if you're stuck yeah i find it really helps me actually because when i'm typing i'll try and construct the perfect sentence versus dictating i just keep going and uh, that's a much more efficient way for me to write is just to get it all down first and then go back and edit yeah well, that's uh, that's quite a workflow. I mean, when you put it all together. Well, I want to talk about some of the more ways that you, other ways that you use your iPad, and and maybe some of those little gems of an app that you you have on your iPad that that maybe we don't talk about, or or even on your Mac that we don't talk about that often, but but help you get your stuff done. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends at Ting. And I don't know why I'm so excited about Ting. Maybe it's because I don't really like my cell phone provider. Maybe it's because nobody really likes their cell phone provider. Um, but Ting just kind of makes me happy, and it's fun to say. I mean, Ting, Ting. Okay, never mind. But <laughs> <laughs> so Ting. Everybody note that moment is your new ringtone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ting, Ting. <laughs> <laughs> Ting is is mobile service that makes sense. And they're from two cows who are the same people who are good friends who make hovers or from the same folks as two cows. So we know that these are good folks to work with. If you have any issues, they've got their phone number directly on their website. You can call them. You can talk to a live person. And if you ever called your cell phone company recently, and how was that customer service experience for you? So Ting is very different. And so first off, they are completely, truly, utterly contract-free. There's no termination fees, no nothing. You figure out what you want and you kind of create your own plan. So if you've got text, you've got data, and you've got phone calls. And maybe you're the type of person who doesn't talk a lot. And if that's okay, then fine. And you only actually... Um, uh, pay for the actual minutes that you use. And if you use more minutes one month, fine, you pay for them. If you use less minutes another month, then you only pay for those. You don't have to say, this is the, this is the plan that I need to use. And then, and then you're stuck with it forever. You actually only pay for what you need. You do the same with data and you do the same with text. So you can really customize the plan that you need month to month, depending on, on what you need it. You don't have to worry about overage charges because if you go over one month, cause you have a really uh, crazy data use month, maybe you're traveling then you just kind of scale up to the next plan and the next month you scale back down and boom, all of that other stuff. If you want all those extras that you normally have to pay other stuff for, like, you know, tethering or hotspot, you don't have to pay extra for it with Ting. It's all included. Then they've got all the other features that you've come to love, like voicemail, caller ID, three-way calling, call forwarding, all that stuff. It just kind of works with Ting and you don't see any of those extra little mysterious charges other than the taxes that they're required by large by law, I guess, to charge you. So that's all. Um, you can actually go onto Ting's website and do a, a comparison, punch in the information on your existing bill about how much data you use, how many minutes you use, how many texts you use, and then what your bill is. And they'll give you a pretty good estimation of what your average Ting bill will be and, and how much money you can save over a month or over the course of a year with Ting. So um, Ting uses the Sprint Network, so if you've got good Sprint coverage in, in your area, this is 
really a no brainer. And again, if you ever have any issues, just pick up the phone and call them. So they've got a bunch of phones that you can pick from, a lot of Android phones. And so we always wonder, well, what about the iPhone? Because this is Mac power users. Well, brand new, Ting can also support certain versions of the iPhone. You do have to bring your own iPhone. But if you can get your hands on a Sprint iPhone, and they've got more details on their websites about what specific models they support, so definitely go check that out. Um, but pick up an iPhone on eBay or, or from one that you have if you're coming over for Sprint, and Ting can get it activated you for you. So you can find more information. Go to 5x5.ting.com, and you'll receive $25 off um, your, either your first Ting device or towards your Ting service. So let them know we sent you. So Jeff, let's talk about this iPad a little bit more. <laughs> the, um, uh, we got we got hung up because we started talking about writing, and you know I always get obsessed about that stuff. Really? But what are the what are the other little apps that you're using to get through your day with just the iPad? Um, with the iPad, um, I think one of the apps I've, I'm pretty excited about. I use Pocket to capture a lot of information these days. Yeah, it's a good app. And then Voice Dream. Um, I've, I've really become a big fan of as well. That basically reads back the pocket information. You can synchronize it. So it will read information back to you. Yeah. I discovered this one a few months ago and I, I really like it because you get occasionally like a really long article in your pocket and you might be driving somewhere and you can just have your phone read it to you. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. Did you buy one? Cause they also have, you can download additional voices. If you want to get like in, you know, I have an English accent on mine. You know, nice lady <laughs> uh, with an English <laughs> accent. And it makes everything sound immediately more credible. Yeah. No, I think I'm just using the default one. Oh, see now. Now see, you yeah. got a, that's the power user tip right there. <laughs> um, the other apps, I, I don't know. I, I actually, when Katie had said something on my main Mac, I mean, I, I've become totally addicted to pop clip. I learned about that from Katie actually. And I, you know, I use that hundreds of times a day, probably yeah, hundreds, it's really tens great. of times every day. And, um, so have you gone and downloaded some of the add-ons for pop clip? Oh, I, I use a bunch. Yeah. Um, there are some that synchronize with NV alt, which I use all the time. Um, there's a way of shrinking, uh, URL, which I use all the time. So yeah, even just like copying just, information off a website without formatting, that's a really yeah. great thing you get with pop. Now, Katie, are you actually using pop clip now? Cause you've been making fun of it for so long. I'm working on it, <laughs> which means you're not, <laughs> I'm working on uh, it. That's why I think it's funny that Jeff found about out about it from you. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do still have it installed. Yes. And I've got some extensions and yeah. Am I the only one that just the way Google Docs won't let me copy stuff unless I select it with the keyboard? Is that just me or is it? It's, no, it's that ridiculous. That, and that's where I use it most of all. Is Well, it's only in Safari. Google Docs works just fine. Um, in Chrome. In Chrome, yes. Yeah. Uh, I use BusyCal. That's another program uh, that, you know, I don't use the built-in calendar anymore. I've moved over to BusyCal and use that pretty extensively. Now, anybody who uses the calendar every day always has some other app they use, and it's usually BusyCal. Yeah, I'm just trying. Are to you, do you guys work on an Exchange network, or what? What type of um, you know? Yeah, how do you we do. do. We're on ex- we're on Exchange, so it limits my ability to to use other applications. Like uh, I still use the built-in Mail app too. For that reason, I can 
have my personal mail and my work mail in one yeah. interface that way. You know, it's funny. Whenever I ask if someone's an exchange user, they never say yes enthusiastically. <laughs> <laughs> not once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that excited about it. Yeah. What about your menu bar? What are this? What's the stuff you've got up there that's setting you on fire right now? Uh, I'm just looking at it now. Uh, I've got one password up there. I use that. Uh, I use, uh, I listen to a lot of music, so I've got something called Bowtie. Oh, what is that? What does that do? Uh, so Bowtie is an interface that lets you rate the songs in your iTunes library. It brings up a little, you can actually customize what the pop-up will look like, but it tells you what song's currently playing and it lets you rate the song. But then the thing I really like is it sends my music to last FM. So I compile all the music that I listen to and see what's, what I've been listening to over the last month. Uh, You're so, a data intensive guy, Jeff. Yeah. You, I know. You've got metadata on your metadata. Yeah. That's impressive uh, <laughs> <laughs> in my world. <laughs> hey, yeah. have you ever used this app? I don't think I've ever talked about it on our show called Cobook. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah, I've tried it. I have not kept it. Get, I've got I, it installed. Give it another yeah. try. Because with, with Mavericks now, it's got a solid version. But if you ever have to deal with contacts, I find it so much faster than going through the traditional um, contacts application. It's right in yeah, your menu bar. Katie, do you do that one yet? No, I need to, because I'm not happy with contacts. Yeah, well, this is great, because like I can type in Katie Floyd, and then there's a little like query line, and I can start typing a phone number, and it'll know it's a phone number, and offer for me to just drop it into the phone number. I don't have to like mouse over the right place. Or I can say, like what I have groups in my contacts database, like one is Apple, and if I hit pound sign Apple, it just puts it into the group. I... I was just noticing the other day, I use this app so many times and it's because contacts is so unfriendly to people who want to get data in quickly. Yeah. Oh, you know, the other app uh, or the other add on that I'm totally dependent on is something called default folder X. Yep. Yeah. That's a and good app. That one is kind of running the background. Then of course I use Hazel that I have a bunch of different folders that Hazel monitors. So now, are you finding much use for tagging uh, with the Mavericks or with your other stuff? You probably don't don't need it much. Um, I have not with Mavericks. I tag a lot of my email traditionally, but um, not so much my files. Wait, you tagging your email? Are you doing it with mail tags? Yeah, with mail tags. Yeah. Although it seems to be not working right now very well. It's they've not playing they've well got a big me. update coming out for Mavericks. They've got a new version. It's going to be nice. If you go to the website, you can download the beta. Yeah. Yeah. I've been using it. It, um, it, it seems like each time we come out, uh, with a new version of, uh, the operating system, mail tags, there's a little bit of lag. I I'm totally dependent on it. So I really notice when it's missing, but, um, I think it has some memory leak issues right now. It's, it's, it slows my computer down and the mail app down pretty significantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Apple redoes the mail app with every new operating system. And I think that puts them behind a little bit until they get it sorted out. Yeah. 
So how often do you spend sitting? Because, you know, listening to you talk earlier, it sounds like you spend most of your day on the iPad. Um, most of my clinical days are on the iPad. Most of my office days are on my Mac. So I would say it's pretty evenly split. I'm probably actually on my Mac a little bit more than my iPad. And then when you're doing anesthesiology, I mean, you guys probably don't use any Apple technologies in the operating room. Not for monitoring patients, but I'd say the vast majority of my colleagues now are all Mac and iOS based. Oh, wow. So The, I, so the iOS like, based doesn't surprise me so much. The Mac based does. In, in what way? Is that just like, like you, the, the work you're doing behind the scenes or, I mean... You see all these Apple ads with people with operating rooms with iPads and everything. I don't really know how much of that's true. Um, well, most of the hospital technology is based on Windows yeah. traditionally, but most of the folks' productivity machines, the ones that they use as personal computers or their personal devices or their professional devices yeah. are, are Apple products. And we've really seen the shift probably last five or six years it's been pretty profound actually watching it happen i was at a party recently and was talking to a radiologist who says that they just do everything on the ipad now yeah they set up like a not a drop box but a a type of personal protected space you know to meet hipaa guidelines and all that stuff is just immediately and everybody uses their ipads i thought wow that was i didn't think it had gone that far but it makes sense yeah, it's incredible. It's nice to see. Yeah. Well, it you know, it's it seems like like the Google Glass, I think, has obvious implications and applications to, to the medical profession, so does the iPad. Absolutely. Uh, so, are most of the doctors you're you're uh, interfacing with using the big one or the small iPad? Um I'd say the majority have the full size, but there are definitely some vocal users that like the minis better. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jeff, is there anything you feel like we haven't, haven't covered that is just essential to your workflow or any other apps out there that we need to tell people about? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, tell people a little bit more about your blog and your Twitter and, and where can they find more about you? Cause, cause I, I know you don't blog maybe as often as some other people do, but when you do, it's gold. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the, the blog is uh, called whip W I P P P dot com. Uh, and I tweet under, uh, Jeffrey Takeman. And, um, so check them out i guess i i i have not been as religiously updating my blog recently there's been a lot of stuff going on but um i have a lot of stuff backed up that i need to talk about soon yeah and also frankly it's a good resource if you go back there if you're involved in academic or medicine i would definitely recommend going back and reading some of jeff's prior posts which i think are just all top notch and then we'll also link the article you did for macworld on the meeting minutes which i thought was really good yeah. Um, Jeff, you know, we've been talking about having you on for a long time and I'm glad we finally were able to do it. And thanks for coming on and sharing all this with us. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. And um, we will so, have 
links to everything that we talked about in this episode um, in the show notes, courtesy of, of JT. And, and we should actually say um, thanks to MacPower users listener, Hey, who stepped in in um, I, I, this episode recorded a little out of, out of order, but in episode 166, who filled in while JT was on vacation and did the show notes for us. So um, it's, it's great to have, we have just awesome listeners, David. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. But anyway, you can find those at five by five dot TV slash MPU slash one six nine for this episode or at our website at MacPowerUsers.com, where you can also search the entire back archives of the show. And if you ever wonder, have you done a show on pick a topic? The answer is usually yes. And you can find it in the archives. Yeah. And you can find us, uh, contact us to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, we're on Twitter as Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Park. All right, and uh, thanks, Jeff. And thanks, David. And we'll see y'all next time. Oh, and I guess we should say Merry Christmas. I think this is our last show before Christmas. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah. Hopefully, right, Santa brings you. you something shiny with a Apple logo. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week.